0: It, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day.
1: Welcome to another edition of Tangentially Speaking with Dr. Christopher Ryan. This week my guest is Tony Perotet. Uh, you can call him Tony Perrottet if you're French, right?
2: <laughs> it's a small, yeah, Franco-Australian. Uh, <laughs> Franco-Australian. <laughs> wing of the diaspora.
1: Exactly, right. Uh, we are sitting in the one of the libraries of Soho House in Manhattan. So if, if you hear sudden interruptions, it's because various people are wandering in and out of the room. I'll try to pause it and edit it, but if not, that's, that's what's going on and here. And they're
2: planning a fabulous champagne events and extravaganzas
1: exactly you never know what's going to happen at the soho house so uh tony and i have been friends since uh the early 90s i guess it, no late or 80s. even late 80s. late 80s my god cool? yeah um what happened was i met a guy traveling in australia named sean in Pushkar, Australia and uh, Australia in uh, India. Pushkar, India. And uh, so Sean and I were buddies and we sort of ran into each other, arranged to run into each other around the world, Nepal, Denmark, France, Spain, Czechoslovakia. I was living in New York years later and Sean showed up and uh, squatted in my uh, apartment for a few months. And he had a friend in town named Tone and Tone came by and uh, we got to know each other bit then, what, a couple months or something. And then we lost touch. Tone was a travel writer for Insight Guides. Uh, you were an editor as well, weren't yeah, you? Yeah. yeah. You edited the Argentina edition? Oh, it was edition? all the
2: South American ones. All the South of, American Oh Well, I was working as a you know, foreign correspondent in South America. And so, uh, you know, I was doing newspaper magazine stuff. And then there was a book company that wanted a series of books. And, you know, they wanted someone who could do all of South America. And then it worked out well. Then it was like Argentina, Chile, Peru. And it's right. Like you know, uh they, uh they drew the line at um, Columbia, I think, which I think was a pity. I didn't want to do it. But this is like twenty years ago. Yeah, that was pretty well, airy, have, yeah so. that's
1: not a good place okay. twenty years ago. Yeah, so anyway, we lost touch and then I was working on the I was almost finished with the manuscript for Sex at Dawn and I saw on Amazon.com somehow I, I was perusing and I saw a copy of uh, Napoleon's Privates, it was called, right? <laughs> and I thought Okay, that's a book about Napoleon's penis and various people who have been in possession of Napoleon's penis throughout the years. I thought, well, maybe there are some good anecdotes in that that I could like slip into Sex at Dawn just to make it a little more amusing. I ordered the book. The book came. I looked at the back cover, and there was this Australian's face on the cover who had written the book. I didn't recognize the name at all. But... The face looked familiar. And I thought, is it possible? And I wrote to my friend Sean. I said, What was the name of that guy in New York 20 years ago? Tony Perotet. And there he was. So we've, our, our long and winding roads have uh, crisscrossed unbeknownst to either of us over the years. Yeah. You've become, you worked, you still work for the New York Times, yes. uh, Smithsonian, all yeah, sorts of Canadian highbrow.
2: traveler, anybody. I'm entirely promiscuous. Anyone who pays. <laughs> you're,
1: you're a literary whore but like all uh, of us. Yes, but uh, you're more of a literary escort, I think, right. than, than a whore. That's I like that. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> Right. So you've published a bunch of stuff in the Times and are you uh, you're on staff at Smithsonian now? A uh, contributing writer they
2: call it. So uh-huh. it's like it you know you're on the masthead. You know, uh-huh. So they listen to my ideas. That's you know. Right. It's, uh, so it's a regular gig with them and and uh, and that's sort of my natural place because I don't know it's it's sort of erudite but it's also entertaining and you know, they're trying to liven it up. There's a new editor right. and so right. there's a sort of sweet spot but using the academic stuff but also going out there into the world. You know because I was um, I was never that much of a fan of archival research you know when I was in Australia I studied history and got the you know like, the, the, the career path the normal career path would have been to become an academic you know write a, you know historical works and what have you but instead I got a one-way ticket to Argentina and decided to set myself up as a foreign correspondent just to because I was just I love to travel and I love to you know see the world right but at the same time you know I, I, I like doing the news stuff and the that sort of thing for a while but it's so after a while it became kind of unsatisfying so I would sort of start digging up weird historical stories and then weaving them into you know narratives and often in places that had no news like Tierra del Fuego I ended up going to Tierra del Fuego four times really? for some weird story that I was like involved colonial you know this uh, uh, the, the extermination of the Indians down there and this totally forgotten story was this around the time that uh, Chatwins in Patagonia came it out it had come out it had touched on it a bit right. um, but my uncle actually used to work in Argentina all the Australians uh-huh. and the um uh New Zealanders used to go down there, and uh, my interest when it was—it it wasn't so unknown that they exterminated the Indians, but that they actually got got a bunch of guys and put them on trial in Punta Arenas in the 1890s, and it was kind of a bizarre, forgotten story. The Indians, and, uh, the, the you know the the. Chilean you know, authorities put British people on trial for, for killing Indians. Oh, really? Yeah, uh-huh. so it was
1: just the these, the Fugians? Yeah, yeah, who, who Darwin uh, had on his boat and yeah. was trying to civilize and well, all. Oh, there
2: were various groups. Those the yeah. Yargans were the ones that uh, the Darwin had met, and right. uh, uh, Jimmy Button, I guess, was the name of the guy that they Right, they and Jimmy,
1: and yeah, uh, and then plenty there was Plenty Birdies, Plenty Fishies, yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah.
2: there was another one called the, the Owner and they're the ones yeah. on the Chilean side, and, mm-hmm. uh, and which is much more it's beautiful you know, sheep country, and so they would get. In and, and it was one of these classic, you know, America, South Africa, Australia, go in, wipe everyone out. It's like, you know, who knows what's going on over there. And but for some reason, it was in the 1890s, I guess, this sort of lefty judge in, in Punta Arenas decided to get involved and say, you know, you know, the, the British just can't do all this, they're not completely involved. So they put him on trial, anyway. That, that's a typical sort of one of the classic sort of stories. And I started to do, you know, I started to lean more towards doing that than uh, right. you know, or um you know, or literary connections or whatever. And the, the insight guides were a great break because, right. you know, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, a slog, you know, with the, the freelance stuff. So it was just a nice steady gig. And they would pay me to, you know, go for three months to Chile or wherever. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up in New York uh, and then, you know, back and forth. But, you know, and, and Buenos Aires was great. I loved Buenos Aires. You know, for, for a couple of years, it's like it's fantastic. But at a certain point, you have to decide if you're going to be the guy who, you know, who lives in, in Buenos Aires you know, with the Argentine wife and the, you know, whatever. And you're never an Argentine, your kids aren't Argentine, your are Kids, maybe, are Argentines. It's a very insular sort of society.
1: Really, it was. Despite all the immigration. Yeah, the yeah. Because most
2: of them are from Italy. Yeah, they?
1: but the Italians are,
2: you know, they're very a bit like that. Close. You know, if you go to Italy, right, you know, they're right. very sort of, you know, there's that sort of. Well, hell barrier. if you go to Little Italy, you know, <laughs> so it's maybe. not an easy community to infiltrate. Yeah, that's yeah. For sure, yeah. So I would always be the yeah. Australian. So anyway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so when I came to New York, I was like, wow, fuck, you know, this is a place, you know, it's an amazing city. It's like, you know, and people sort of speak English, you know. It's like Sort you know, of. <laughs> so. I resemble remarks. <laughs> sort of. But, uh, yeah. but it was great, you know, and it's like, man, this is within five minutes. It's like, it's the perfect place to be based. And right. So, so from here, I started to do more of these journeys. And, right. You know, but again, you know, with these historical literary sort of connections. Now, how many books have you published? I've cranked out five of them. Five? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man,
1: that's, that's uh, it's out of control. It's uh, K- kids are, I mean, books are like kids, you know, anyone who's got more than two or three just amazes, me. right? There should have been something done, to. yeah, <laughs> should,
2: have, should have had something snipped along the way somewhere, <laughs> but um,
1: yeah, 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 it's uh, five, five books, okay, so run, run through them quickly, the, okay. The well, titles. the first,
2: well, the first one was called Off the D Band, it was about, um, it was literally a collection of travel stories, right. You know along these historical wacko sort of themes right. and um, but it was done with where uh, it's from a base in New York so it was really about me moving in or becoming you know established in these village so as much as one can ever be established you know, getting a rent control department all these you know figuring out green cards and just all the weird things in the early 90s which was quite difficult yeah. in New York it was like really hard to do it and in fact objectively New York was almost an unlivable city you know you, you like, should
1: have married an American would, have been, would, have, would, would have been a lot yeah, easier
2: yeah. Yeah. And my wife once the green card lottery. Les won the green, oh, eventually, really? the six or something, which is this weird. Americans aren't really aware how people, the, the, it's citizens ridiculous. are chosen. Yeah. Uh, but there's this whole thing, and they decided that there just weren't enough Australians in the mix, in the cultural mix. So, you know, I went in, you know, I didn't win it, but she won it. And, you know, so we, we got it, and it's like suddenly they gave us a green card. And it's like, wow, okay, so this is meant to be. you us hang out here. So it's she
1: a, got it, and because you're married, then you automatically have a reason yeah. to. to yeah yeah, 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 it's instant.
2: Well, it's kind of like, and it's well, like, it doesn't matter what, as long as you know, unless you're a felon or something like that. You know, it's like You they know
1: about your your criminal past. That's
2: it. You know, in Argentina, what happens yeah, in you know states, uh,
1: what happens in Tierra del Fuego
2: stays <laughs> in Tierra del But it was, uh, but yeah, but the, the, the and the theme of the book, in a way, was then I'd be doing stories about going to uh, Iceland or Zanzibar or uh, you know Patagonia or whatever, these very remote places where you go and go, you know, it's how, what on earth inspired people to move here and live here and I sort of saw connections you know between you know this sort of thing of suddenly here we are sort of digging in in the East Village which at the time people were like wow you know you're going to take a stand and it was like interesting it's it's a historical work now because it came out in like 96 or something and it was like you know you read it now it's like yeah, it might have been even another planet really? you know <laughs> so it was like you know, our, our block 10th Street between 1st and 2nd was the, it was the biggest Colombian drug dealing uh, st- block and it had been for decades so it was that you'd go there and there were these guys you know like dozens of guys on either side and the limos would cruise down and they would just be doing the dealing and um know, it, it, it was it, the association in people's minds was such that they just couldn't couldn't break it. So, a sort of a campaign started to try and clean it up. So, this woman on our block tried is it to, cleaned up now? Yeah, now it's like this glamorous, you hmm. uh, know, it's all these little Japanese restaurants and oh, like this, there's, wow. this, there's, a, there's a Japanese dessert store. You know, it's like because I was
1: walking over to meet a friend the other day in the East Village and I walked down a block. I, I don't remember, it was between Houston and. and 10th somewhere and it was between first and second and there were a bunch of dudes hanging out on on the side and I sort of walked through the group of dudes and, and then the guy sort of walked behind me and he said quietly if you know what's good for you you won't come back here and I turned around I said what and he said oh nothing I was just talking to myself I thought, Ooh,
2: what's going on on this block? It did seem kind of strange. Interesting. You know? It's good to hear that the East Village still has a little edge, <laughs> a little color. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, now there is the, the, the amazing thing about New York is because of the rent control laws, you know, they can't totally gentrify it. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was in Sydney, you know, and they suddenly decided these Village, you know, there's a neighborhood, they can do it within a year you know they just get rid of everybody, rid of everybody and out, it's like because yeah. the lease has just run out and yeah. put it up you know jack it up but mm. there's there's the ingrain, yeah. you know and now you know we, we were involved in sort of helping to clean up the block you know, you know because it was you had to do things like the police but at one stage they got a patrol car that just went back and forth in our block all night <laughs> you know, just kind of, like, oh. Because it was, and the idea was to, to break the, this ancient association. It's uh, so all the drug right. dealers, because course, went to 11th Street, you know, right. but, and, and then when the police would get that all come back. Right. And this went on for a few years, but then the whole momentum. Uh, but yeah, but now, you know, the riffraff, we're the riffraff now that they've been trying to get rid of, you know, it's, uh, right. you know, there's still, a, but it still has a certain character that I think is quite different to the rest of New York. It's kind of, because it's kind of cut off a little bit. You've got to make a bit of, you know, the, there's no sub, you know, slap over from the subway. It sort of, right. still has. A certain character that's yeah. different that I like. It's still got a very cosmopolitan. It's got you know crazy old Polish people and whatever. Yeah. Still not as many, but you know
0: yeah. it's
2: still there. Right? Yeah. You know it's just, it's just a great place if you like. You feel like you're traveling permanently. You go away for two weeks. There you go. And you come yeah. back. You know yeah. it's completely some new store or whatever. Yeah. It's
1: like there's a stranger in front of you. You get to the sidewalk and there's strangers everywhere yeah. every day and yeah. speaking every language. And okay, so so that that's an interesting. I really like the. Yeah, in fact, I bought that book I've never read it I that's, have to admit that. okay. you know one one of the the possible titles for this podcast was going to be interviews with authors whose books I haven't read. You know, just keep it honest. To, keep it honest. Because <laughs> most of the people who interview me for Sex at Dawn haven't read Sex at Dawn. They it pretend does. they have. Yeah. And so I really like it when someone says, look, I haven't read your book. Right? You know, mm-hmm. I read the reviews, I read this, I read the back right. cover, right. I read the an next And like, you know, great, okay, yeah. I know who I'm talking to. Or, uh, you know, someone who, because you know this as an author, right? You can tell When you're talking about a book... You can tell if someone's read it because they ask you a question. It's like, oh, yeah, that question's answered on page five, right, you know. Right. And so it's, it, you know, for journalists out there, it's a dumb thing to lie about because we know you're lying and we pretend we don't. So you'll write a nice review or article or whatever, but we mm-hmm. all know. So might as well just be straight about it. Yeah, well,
2: since they're often doing like 10 books a day. It's sort of. A exactly. Li- you know, it, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Physically impossible. Right. So, uh, there's no
1: there's no reason they should have to no. read every book. Anyway, so um, so that was your first book. And then, and then there was, uh, one, it was
2: about following ancient Roman tourists around the Mediterranean. Okay, now
1: that's where you sort of got on to the line you've continued. Yeah, right? there was
2: there was a lot of uh, yeah, and that was yeah, it was called Route sixty six AD, and uh, and then they changed the title and uh, the paper back to Pagan Holiday because they thought no one understood, understood Route sixty six AD hmm. that uh, they thought it was a turn off in Arizona or something or something. <laughs> whatever. But that's okay, that's okay, yeah. and uh, yeah, and it was very it was like taking a journey and like really. Um, Yeah, digging up really arcane stuff about the ancient Roman Emperor. And there was a lot of erotic history there. Right. Because that's the You know, the the overall project has always been to somehow get people back in their minds, back into the past. And that can be through food. It can be through, uh, you know, like the idea of tourists that were there. Or it can be through sex. Right. And there's there's this, you know, direct link, you know. And it's like, you know, to understand a culture, you know, it's like you understand how people are having sex. You understand. You learn a huge amount about it. And the ancient Romans, you know, their influence on our ideas of sex, you know, and the the Christians floating around the early Christians is enormous. You know the very, you know the whole idea of the rediscovery of you know of ancient Rome that happened in the eighteenth century was very much based on like they're digging up all this erotica, this sort of very mind boggling to the you know especially to the Victorian archaeologists, this, oh, this extraordinary amount of stuff. Mm. And uh, so there's always been these very Twisted views, or sort of, you know, confused and baffled views. It's a very salacious idea that emperors and their orgies. The, you know, it's like this sense of pagan licentiousness versus the Christian sort of repression. And you know, uh, you know, it's just had this enormous impact. And so when you, when you look at the idea of you know, I was thinking you know, travelers in ancient Rome, but it's sex was like a huge part of it as well. You know, when they went down to the Bay of Naples, it was like this party scene, a sort of like, you know, this seaside resort with, you know, uh, very wild you know times at like the bathhouses and the, uh, the whole thing. And that's where, and, and, and it's around Naples where that's where Pompeii's being dug up and that's, you know, a lot of the frescoes and a lot right. of the images and a lot of the poetry turns out to be about that. So, mm. uh, yeah, so this, the sex thing did get a lot of attention Tension and where you know on Amazon reviews of you know, you know like, this guy's just a pervert you know it's like what is this it's uh, you know it's schoolboy fascination yeah. um, but uh, but it's an element that is like you know it's just so vivid you know just some of these you know if you want to try and get back to you know the ancient Greeks or the ancient Romans this this sexual. Habits, the sexual ideas, are so you know it's just an instant way to leap. And if you start with that, then you can sort of extrapolate. You can then you can move on to other stuff, and it sort of all starts to make sense. Just to have that vivid connection.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I I love your the the books I have read of yours. I've read two or three of them. What I love about them is that they take you to the daily life of of what was going on there in a way that most histories are, are very much top-down. It's, you know, here's how the emperor lived or the king or the court or Beethoven or, you know, whatever. Mm. But... Like how how did normal people live? What was daily life like? What what were they doing? And sex is a great way to to get into that. Yeah. Or food, as you said. I mean, humble things, normal right. things, things that right. everybody's doing, not yeah. just the the wealthy or whatever. Right, right, right. And yeah. it's an
2: instant connection between us because we you know we still eat, we still have sex. You know, yeah. it's like it's yeah. you know within the certain framework. You know, it's like what's the, what it? What? But the way it's done. You know, it just tells so much. But yeah, the, I mean, the the definitely the. The lower, you know, the, the common man. That's the, the thing that's kind of the interesting thing is that um, there has been since the seventies this sort of explosion in social history. There has been a lot of academic work that's done right. on on this sort of stuff, uh, and yet it's so fucking boring. Hmm. This is the, this is the problem. It's done by people who are like, you know, they, they don't get out of the archives. They just like right, and, and and so a lot of my research is going and seeing, you know, finding these academic uh, treatises and reading the. Footnotes and reading yeah. the whatever, and because a lot of the colour, a right. lot of the life is just like they, they don't consider it. It's relevant. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like you know, and so there's this very abstract discussions of you know, you know what, what it means in the in the, you know in the dialogue of you know. Oh, post-structuralist ideas of sexuality and stuff, and it's like so removed from reality. So if you go back and you find out, like step by step, what was it like for someone to travel around and end up in, you know, arriving in Rome, you know, in you know, the first century AD? What did they do? Where did you walk? Where did you where right. did you get something to eat? Right. You know, what are the souvenirs? You know, where yeah. where had you found the brothels? Right. You know, was, what
1: did good? you eat? What did it cost? Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: You know, and it's like, and you just put it together as a traveler. You know, I'm like, it's like you know what you gotta. You you know when you go into a strange place you know where are you going to find a hotel what are you going to do you know it's going to be be hassled by guides and touts and you know so a lot of that my experience went into that to this recreation of of that using the information and it's like you know which is the the other book that that followed on from that uh, on the ancient Greek Olympic Games the Mm -hmm. Naked Olympics the
1: Naked Olympics that was
2: very much like that but that was taking the you know this festival this five day festival that academics had looked at they looked at in great have all these little bits but it's like so what if you went you know it's like so what, what happens, you right. know? Uh, and it's, it turns out it's run, you know, I've been to very badly planned rock concerts. And yeah. it's like, just like that. You know? like, <laughs> in Australia, there was one, it was, you know, it was, it was held in summer in this place and there was never any water, you know, and you're wandering around and everyone's, after five days, yeah. you are pretty dirty. Yeah. And you're like, and pretty hungover and dehydrated. Sounds and like Burning Man. It was, it's very much <laughs> like that. But it's, uh, a few more trees, a few more gum trees. But yeah. it's, uh, um, so, what, so tell us about the Olympics what happened so everyone 's naked in, in all the events everyone was in, in naked? the events they're naked the guy you know the audience' it was all was men, naked right? it 's all men uh, in the in the events but they, I mean, married women weren't allowed into the sacred area uh. right? but uh, unmarried women were uh-huh. so there's this sort of a Marriage setup scene going on where, like, the, you know, wealthy young women are brought there from, you know, from the ruling classes that to sort of look around, check out the you know, these godly uh, physiques, which is uh, to you know, marry the athletes, yeah, marry the or to, I mean, ideally to meet other diplomats or whatever, oh, but still, okay. you know, the, the athletes were ext- from very good backgrounds, and um, oh. you know, it was, it was quite relatively de- democratic, you know, sometimes you were free born, you were Greek and male. But it was very, you know, it's like that's what democracy was. And how yeah. many events were there? Well, it went over five days, so, and, they, and it varied, but there was like maybe 20 events, and, and, you know, sometimes there'd be 22 and 18. So like, like racing, wrestling, right, yeah. archery. Uh, not archery. No they'd, archery. Have, uh, they'd have a pentathlon, which was, you know, discus and javelin and uh, different types of races. There was, uh, you know, three types that were foot races. No marathon. That was a modern invention. Uh, I think they, that was from the city of Marathon. It, it, there was the Battle of Marathon. Oh, the battle. And apparently uh according to legend um uh, Philippides the uh the runner uh got the news that um Athens had defeated the Persians ran in one go all the way back to Athens got into the agora and said we won and then drops dead. <laughs> so it's like anyway it's like what is it, 21.3 miles or something. So when the uh, Olympics were revived in 1896 you know, uh, Pierre de Coubertin said, let's do this this race. So ah, they did it, and that became okay. this fixed thing. And oh, it's like, cool. You know, they had a thing that it was like... Um you know, maybe uh, twelve times around the uh, stadium, and I think it was like two kilometers. Right. You know, and that was like the the long one.
0: Okay. But they
2: had they actually had chariot races. You know, with, you mm-hmm. know which wouldn't you know fit in today. And uh, uh, and they try other silly things like they would end with a um, uh, you know a race in armor. Everyone's dressed up in armor. You know, for whatever reason. But, but beach, to, beach volleyball. No beach volleyball. That oh, was the. Because I think that should be done naked. Yeah. Well, it was getting close. It's getting you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but at least uh, the Brazilian.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> the, I think it's the most popular viewing uh, yeah,
1: sport. I know, everyone watches. <laughs> no, I goes a damn, who wins. Right. But, yeah.
2: But, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think viewing the the, the the human form, the Greeks were very much. It wasn't just yeah. aesthetics, right? You know, I mean, it wasn't just the sport. It was the the aesthetics, the the erotic element there was very strong. Right. Know? It's like the godly physique, which
1: makes it an interesting dating scene for
0: t-
2: for the guys, yeah, yeah. And the, yeah, the guys, the guys from and the women, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's this, there's a lot of erotic undertones, and and prostitutes would come from all over Asia Minor because they knew they could make as much in like five days as in you know, six months anywhere else. So wow. it's this huge. Huge party scene, and there's right. wine, there's vendors, there's like forty thousand people in this very remote sanctuary. Forty thousand people. It's like, that's and that's a, that's a, a lot of people, and it's like, yeah, in the ancient world—that's yeah. a hell of a lot of and people. And it's in high summer, so it's like hundred degrees, hundred and ten sometimes in Greece, and so you know. And where? What part of Greece was it's it? It's in the Peloponnese. Was it uh, always in the same place? Always in the same place. That's you know another thing that's kind of different now, right. it's like Because this is you know Olympia. Uh, it was Zeus's sacred. Place and the games were dedicated. Have to you zoos. been there? Have sure. You, are the structures still there? Some of them have been. A lot has been excavated, so you can put it together. Mm. Uh, and that's always another thing that amazed me. That often academics wouldn't go back to the site. You know, right. they, they look at the map and sort of go, "Okay." Right. But you, you go there, and then you can figure out, "Okay." So everyone's like running down here and going over the hill here, and you know, and they're all sleeping out because there's no hotels. You know, and, right. and the thing, and it's just this, just the idea of this sort of bacchanal. that's yeah. going on? And it's, you know, every four years, so it's like. You know, you just save up and you go and whatever. It's uh, yeah.
1: So so what, about, what about the actual Bacchanal? That was also an ancient Greek uh, thing. Right? Yeah, that
2: was that was a, a rite to the to, to the god Bacchus, and right. Dionysius in, in Greece, Greek right. Bacchus is in Rome, right. and that was a, a rite that. You know, it was. It started out uh, just women getting very, you know, getting very drunk and going to this sort of frenzy. And then, uh, you know, it's, it started to, it was exported to uh, southern Italy. And, and that's where it really started to take on this cult, this you know, extremely elaborate cult. And in Rome, uh, around the 2nd century BC, then guys, you know, were getting involved and, um, you know, of all social orders. It was a very subversive cult. So you would go there and the idea is that you would uh, uh, get blind Drunk, right. uh, you would usually bring a goat or something to to sacrifice, and you were, and it was like a free for all. You were not allowed to say no to anything, and if you did, you would quite possibly be attacked and you know killed, you know, by the enraged crowd. So it was this. Thing. And a lot of people, you know, there were bodies turning up and like, and then some aristocrats. didn't say no to anything of what? Of a sexual, sexual nature. So, uh, so this was men and women? Men and women, yeah. You have to be, it was, the idea was this of total abandon.
1: Total abandon. So it was yeah. like ob- obligatory abandon. Then, Reminds me of some rituals I, I talked about in Sex at Dawn where if you refused to have sex with anyone in, in like cross cousins, I think was the concept, um, you were accused of being stingy with your genitals which was considered a highly offensive thing to be. You don't want to be stingy with genitals in any <laughs> situation. You know, you can keep that spare change in your pocket, but um, now, am I thinking of the right, is it the Bacchanalia where where you were, you had to be invited by someone who had already been right. there?
2: That, that's that's right, yeah, and that was like, so get around, it was like word of mouth, it was like right. a guerrilla party. And you could you never know? talk about anything that happened there right, away right. from, right. So it was this huge mystery right, and like, and then right. you got you know, the, the the you know the Senate became really a concern because it's like you know thousands of people are going off and like disappearing into the forest and corpses are turning up and some you know aristocratic guys are going down and they're getting rogered by the lower orders and it's like you know <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it was an anarchic sort of thing right and it's like very you know, and politically subversive because it's like the lower orders are getting treated in the, and slaves you know are allowed, it, it, slaves were allowed yeah, to participate you know, like, if
1: they were invited by someone who yeah. had been there so no, I I read now this may be historically inaccurate I, I don't remember. Remember the source or anything, but I remember reading that there's evidence that it wasn't just alcohol that was going on, that they were using hallucinogenic mushrooms there, mm-hmm. and that that was part of this whole union of minds and you know, this transcendental experience that people were having.
2: I believe it. I haven't really read that, but it's the, I mean, it mm. certainly fits in, and it's like, yeah. it, it makes perfect sense, because, you know, this, this is a ancient culture which is really hooked into all this, you know, sure. this sort of stuff, The you know, the life of the, of the forest and the mistletoe right. and whatever. Um, Right, but, um, and the, yeah. Yeah, all that. so mm-hmm. that, I mean that makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's like, uh, but um, wow. so, so have you been there? Have you been to the site of the? No, the no, area? I have. I mean, it's 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 it, you know, it was by the Tiber, you know, further up the Tiber, and, and it was in different locations. Oh, that uh, moved. Okay, yeah, but then the Senate, you know, decided to just blitz it, and they just went went in and they arrested, you know, thousands, and you know, many were killed, others not, you know. But it was like it was banned. Uh, mm. You know, I think it was 183 BC, but it was like they. Really, just wanted to like, uh, this is this mm. is not, and no, no, and there couldn't be any uh associations going on, but they would still carry on in secret, right. and especially in, in remoter areas of southern Italy. And the, uh, it was going on, there's sort of there are arguments that is you in know, a persistent until you know through the middle ages and whatever. Oh, really? So, um, but it, yeah, it, it's, it's you know, it's an amazing you know concept, yeah, you know, and it yeah. resonates today. Yeah. You know. But how did we get up to that? Uh, <laughs> like, well, just talking about, you
1: know, <laughs> well, licentiousness in the General ancient world. Which is, yeah. Which is your thing. I mean, yeah. that's sort of become your, like, you are the go-to guy for any documentary filmmaker anyone who contacts me and wants to talk about human sexuality and they're looking for historical context you're the guy I, I send them to no, I, mean, I, appreciate I, I that. can't That's, imagine uh, anyone more informed than yeah, you are
2: yeah and that leads to the next book that was what was happening was uh, with Napoleon's primates like uh, was 2500 years of history unzipped the idea was you know it's like <laughs> uh, you know it was just it was literally uh, you know I just thought uh, what I wanted to do was get broaden it from the ancient world right and I wanted to create basically you know in a very sort of you know te- you know I wanted to teach myself uh, you know a lot of other things that I didn't happen any of these vague rumors that I'd heard about stuff all right. So, uh, what I created... Uh, it's like a cabinet of curiosities, uh-huh. basically. And I wanted to write a book. It started off, you know, you know what it, what makes a good historical story? What makes a good anecdote that you can tell at a dinner party? You know, most of the time when people are talking about history, you know, you can just see, like, you know, after, their eyes glow as yeah. But other stories, they're on the edge of their seat. And they're mm. going, what? You know? Uh, and, and so, what is it about that? Where can we make these connections? And and so, I was, just, I was looking, you know, I did look at a little bit of food and, you know, money and real estate and stuff like that. But sex, obviously... You you know, and then there's just, and then I realised as I was doing how many amazing sort of little episodes, you know, through history of these, you know, extraordinary. You know, like sex clubs in the eighteenth century, and you know uh, this story and the story and the the title story of Napoleon's penis was the reason that sort of became the emblem uh, of the book is because it's good. You got you got, got sex, you got death, you've got uh, celebrity, you've got everything all combined in this one story, and it's mm. like it just works on every level. It's yeah. like uh,
1: military history.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and it's like. Um, so it was, a, it was a collection of these different stories that had sort of, um, you know, and, and as I was doing it, I really, you know, more and more would come up from J. Edgar Hoover cross dressing. And I would, I would sort of start basically. So is that true, this thing about J. Edgar Hoover? You know, I mean, it was, it's based on very tenuous evidence. There was right. a, um, you know, a woman whose husband had been, you know, really kind of ruined by J. Edgar Hoover, and she was the one basically who, she was alcoholic and yeah. whatever, and, uh, uh You know, she's the one who came to these very detailed descriptions that a a British journalist um, wrote a book about. It was in Vanity Fair. But the thing... While he was alive or after he died? After he died. After he died. uh, You know, it was like in the mid-90s or something. But the thing, the interesting thing to me is that, uh, you know, that doesn't mean it's not true, you know, that it's like it's very tenuous evidence. But, you know, that that doesn't seem to be... I mean, he definitely had this very intense you know which was a homoerotic you know relationship with his with his sidekick and you know all that sort of thing Uh, but the reason it's so powerful as a story is because he's you know such a bastard having persecuted Mm. so many you know gays and just you know just and to just discover that he's a closet gay you know and it's like cross-dressing mincing around in this long dress with Mm. you know Right and being, you know, it's just it's just so perfect that it's just you know it has to be true and it's like it's part of the it's part of the mythology.
1: And well, it, it's one of those stories that feels like it must be true because it seems like, you know, you know, the expression, uh, what do they say, uh, behind every great fortune is a great crime, right? It, there does seem to be some balance in the human psyche between, you know, behind, we, we see it all the time, all these, you know, right wing, social conservative, family values, blah, 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 Jimmy Swaggart and, you know, the wide Stance, Larry White Stance, Craig, and, you know, go down the list, they keep getting exposed as hypocrites and and so you see the pattern like if You know, unless you've got some serious conflict within yourself, you don't really give a shit if gay people get married or not. It doesn't really affect you. So if you're that upset about it and it becomes your entire fucking focus as a politician or a major focus, that suggests to me that you've got something seriously interesting (laughs) in your closet. Conflicts
2: there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I, I hope that American culture comes to the point where anyone who starts yelling and screaming about, you know, what the gays are doing or the blacks are doing or whatever anybody's doing like just that becomes like a, a red flag yeah <laughs> like everyone just looks at them and not shakes their head yeah roll your eyes sad a... sad, a... sad little man yeah. yeah and it's always a man too you yeah. know with very few exceptions yeah. Michelle Bachman and you know her husband's got enough secrets for the two of them probably
2: right. Right. anywho yeah. But, but, yeah, but yeah so the, the, the premise of the book is really coming up with these stories and trying to find out as much as one can you know, you know
1: I mean yeah, uh, I'll translate it. For American listeners, that's premise.
2: Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> but it's the idea. <laughs> we speak English here. Australian. Now I've lost my train of thought. The training. premise of the book, <laughs> you were saying. Yeah, is, yeah so taking these, these myths or these ideas. So yeah. like, for example, you know, Catherine the Great. There's only one thing people know about Catherine the Great, that she died She was a, horse. a great horsewoman. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so where did that come from? Yeah, you
1: know, because well, you know, she it, was very interested in in her personal guard. She checked them. She for was, their penis size. She is was actually
2: very active, right. you know, Which is quite unusual in a ruler and in a fairly open, you know, well, for a woman a to woman be
1: ruler, a ruler yes. of Russia was very yeah, unusual, yeah, so, yeah. and
2: and it's not very hard to to to, to, to prove that she didn't die fucking a horse. You know, there they're fairly. You know, f- straightforward accounts of her, you know, dying on the on the privy, you know, having a stroke on the privy. Oh, and, you know, that's she's,
1: so much less glamorous. I know, and
2: so, yeah. and she dies, you know, f- a few days later. Uh, and so
1: uh, privy, uh, privy for American uh, <laughs> listeners is <This> toilet.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very unglamorous. <laughs> yeah. And yet, almost immediately in France, that this rumor starts, and it's just amazing to see the way the French are very good at this. They just take all these elements. They take her sexual sort of, frame. she, you know, and she. Gotten rid of her husband, and she's this, you know. And France and, and, and Russia had been almost on the verge of war, mm. so she was this sort of, you know, this enemy figure that had to be demonized anyway. So her sexuality is the obvious target, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, she just and she was an amazing, you know, she was a great horsewoman, and she used oh, really? to take pride in her horse riding, uh-huh.
1: uh, and
2: but and you know, and yet she would take her, and she would take her lovers, a series of lovers, you know, um, the sort of thing that in a man would be like, yeah, yeah, and but her, it was so unusual. Right. And to put all those together into one vivid image, you know what I'm that,
1: like, that humiliates her yeah. and, and degrades her as a yeah. historical figure, which is something we men love to do to powerful yeah. women. Oh, it goes
2: through Cleopatra, it right. goes Marie Antoinette. God, right. and, uh, her, uh, Okay, her, hold
1: that thought because we have to stop for a commercial. I, I received an email from my my podcast editor yesterday saying, around the middle of the podcast, you should stop for a commercial. You should mention that the podcast is available available Available. You should not mispronounce that, but you should announce that uh, FeralAudio.com is the place to get other fascinating podcasts, including the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, where I've been a guest twice. Uh, he's a comedian; he guy's hilarious. It's podcast with him is uh, a very dangerous thing. I, I go to his house; he, he gives me drugs and beer, and you know, we he, he extracts all these. Secrets I had no intention of talking about publicly. Uh, that's the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, and there are lots of other fascinating uh, podcasts there. You can uh, contribute to uh, this podcast. There's a donation button and uh, at FarrellAudio.com, and you can see uh, archives of uh, all the different uh, people I've I've spoken to. And uh, the other thing he asked me to mention, Dustin asked me to mention, was that uh, if you're Buying anything at Amazon, and you do it through the affiliate button at our webpage there at feralaudio.com, and you can just click through to uh, tangentially speaking. Uh, per, uh, I don't know what it is, 5% or something of whatever you spend at Amazon will go to us. It doesn't cost you anything more, but it goes to us to help support the podcast and keep everybody in business. So if you're enjoying listening to Tony Parotet talk about um, ancient uh, figures and their sex lives, please uh, please consider doing some of that. Hit that button. Hit that button, and we'll be right back. All right, I'm back with Tony Paratet. You're listening to Tangentially Speaking. We're sitting in the library of the Soho House in uh, Manhattan, and there's a thunderstorm raging outside. So if you hear rumbling, that's not uh, my stomach or Tony's. That's the good Lord himself. (laughs) Moving furniture, as they say. So uh, you mentioned Cleopatra. Uh, We we were talking about, oh, by the way, great horse-fucking story for you while we're on on the subject of of horse fucking by the way this is not safe for work Uh, put on your headphones you don't want your (laughs) boss to wander by while I'm talking about horse fucking Um, Dan Savage this is Dan's story Dan has a great podcast called Savage Love the Savage Love podcast and um, he uh, people call in you know he's a sex advice columnist so people call in and ask questions so this guy calls in and he says uh, yeah Dan uh, I have sex with horses and I don't think there's anything wrong with that and uh, I don't really understand why it's a big deal I wish you'd comment on that so Dan calls him back and says oh, hey listen I heard your, your message and the, you, know, you make an interesting point but I, I just want to clarify this so I, I got it straight in my head are you fucking the horse or is the horse fucking you and there's a long pause on the phone. And the guy says, I'm not gay. <laughs> 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 the guy's offended that Dan, who is gay, of course, could possibly think that he's on the receptive end of the horse-fucking. That
2: goes back to ancient Rome, you know? It was really? Like it was a huge... So you could fuck a horse, but a horse couldn't fuck you? Uh, In- or- Mean penetrated generally was con- was right. You know, you could only penetrate social inferiors. So one right. of the things that um, if you you know really wanted to like Alexander the Great. Um, because this is the of, ancient Greece. In ancient Greece, we had it, yeah. So it's like there'd be a huge discussions about who, you know, it's very complicated. You know, it's, it's the pecking order of uh, who? yeah. So it's incredibly right. like you could really um, insult someone by implying that he was being fucked by somebody uh, of a lower social order, whereas. You know, if he's doing the, the fucking, it's like it doesn't, you know. So if you say
1: you're a slave fucker, that's not an insult but you got fucked by your slave would be like a high that's insult. That's like the worst right. you know, possible right. thing. Right. Um, well, isn't that, I mean, that sort of thing continues today. I, I, I was researching an episode for this TV show I told you I've been, I've been working on and uh, we're talking about prison sex, you know and a lot of prisoners will tell you, I'm not gay, I fuck him. He's gay because right. he gets right. fucked, you know. So it's the same. It's the same mentality. Yeah. It's like if I'm sticking my dick into something else, that's manly. Right. It's it's only right. becomes you know aberrant in some way right. when when your ass or your mouth or whatever is involved.
2: Yeah, yeah. They had a very yeah. complicated sort of thing, and and Cleo, Getting back to Cleopatra, right? Um, you know, she was because um, she lost the war, but she was, you know, when she was with Mark Antony, that was very much a. Um, so i've I've
1: always wondered about Cleopatra I think a lot of people have I, what i I read somewhere and correct me if I 'm wrong that lipstick originated in ancient Greece among prostitutes who wanted to advertise the fact that they specialized in oral
2: sex you know i um I would have thought lipstick would be around before that, but uh, I hadn't I haven't really heard that particular story so, I
1: haven't heard that. so with your uh, we'll get into Cleopatra and other specifics here but um, with your knowledge of, of sex and history people always ask me like uh, because my thing is more like other cultures right yeah, uh, yeah, not yeah. so much historical as you know hunter gatherers or, or uh, you know Japanese or whatever um, but the things that we consider to be part of the, the spectrum of more or less normal sexual behavior, I hate the word normal when we're talking about sex, of course, but oral sex, anal sex, hand jobs, you know, uh, bukaki, which probably isn't normal, but some sort of, you know, visible ejaculation, which may, or may be related to pornography, you know, do those things, is there any evidence of those things being considered normal in history? I know anal sex we're talking about, in ancient Greece, right. well, yeah, between it, men, right? You
2: know, yeah, some things were, you know, it can seem incredibly, incredibly liberated, for example. I think, you right. know, the idea of, but it's to us, it's also incredibly exotic. If you look at, uh, they, they had no concept of homosexuality. Right. You know, there right. was, you know, the idea of an older man being a mentor to a, a younger teenager was just a standard in ancient Greece. That's what the whole, you know, culture was based on. That's this very spiritual, Socratic sort of, yeah, ideal. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it was, uh, only up until you know, the, the down appeared on the cheeks, they used to say, so like teenage you know so once they reached sort of a, you know, a stage of puberty and uh so and Alexander- so the boys were considered sexual beings
1: in terms of so so the the older men. Uh, I'm just trying to understand. So so a guy, let's say a guy's 30, and he's a professor. Hmm. And he's got his 10, students who are 10, 11 yeah. years old. So he's able to have sex with them yep. without it being any issue at all. Are they expected to enjoy
2: it? I think they enjoy the attention. They enjoy the... Um you know the 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 all round sort of thing that yeah it wouldn't he wouldn't be having sex with all of them he'd probably be like there'd be one special sort of one he takes under his wing you know it's to, to see to us it's very it's bizarre it's like a priest altar boy It's yeah, very much like yeah. that and yeah. Uh, yeah those Catholics they keep uh, uh, you know and so that to us is very weird um, and yet so it, it becomes transgressive if it's between adult uh, adult men right as he right. grows up Alexander the Great gets into terrible trouble because he's Keeps you know, this relationship going with this guy as he grows older. And he's taking him around on the campaigns yeah, with him, right? Yeah, huge problems. Yeah. Also, he's becoming involved with... Uh being you know, penetrated by barbarians, you know. There's a there's <laughs> <laughs> that's a title, man. You've got
1: to use that title. So it's penetrated like, uh, by
2: barbarians, yeah. I love that. I think, you know, he's got this Persian lover. I like, you know, it's like it's, you know, and that is just so shocking. Yeah. You know, and so it's you know you can see, you know, it's just so complicated. So it's just completely different to how we would view whatever. So it's, it's not exactly this sort of gay paradise thing going on. You know? So so but,
1: there's no there's no cons- of homosexuality as we understand it, yeah. until quite recently, the whole concept of being right. a homosexual yeah, is late categories. 1900s yeah, the yeah, yeah. 19th century, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah
2: suddenly they just they, they decide to categorize everything. You know, there was no even word. Oh, there's no not even a word, you know, homosexual until right. you know what 1875, right? Or something, just right. before the yeah. you know the legislation is passed in in London criminalizing right. acts of gross indecency, the Oscar Wilde trial. Right. Suddenly it's all this. This thing, is Wasn't it, there is it a Serb? There was a Serbian guy who was writing about it, and
1: he was arguing against the laws that would have made sexual contact between men illegal. And he came up with the word homosexual. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you yeah. know, and uh, and but even then, like it, like lesbianism, uh, it was originally in the act, but it was removed by Queen Victoria, according to legend, because she couldn't believe that sexual relations between women were possible. <laughs> so it was. Um, so they dodged it for a while So but, uh, so then if there's no
1: Okay, there's so culturally There's there's no sense of Homosexuality the way we understand it Today, but if homosexuality Is indeed a, a Genetic or a question Of fetal development or whatever As most homosexual people Will tell you, I was born this way, this is the way I've always been, there's no cultural Anything going on here You know, uh then presumably there were homosexual men and women in ancient Greece
2: the sapphic love
1: definitely amongst sapphic own, love you know? right, uh, right
2: you know not very many records you know uh, it's like very small because women were you know basically locked away most of the time right so it's like you know uh, they right. were sort of to breed children it was a you know, very repressive society what about people, sexual isn't? relation
1: between like uh, soldiers in the Roman legions or you know in uh, Sparta what was going in Sparta wasn't there a lot uh, yeah. of homosexual activity it been, going but still on
2: the ideal is still the male you know the older male and the younger right. guy so right. I think if I mean presumably it was going on but just you know hmm. then it's much more furtive right. you know it's like uh, uh, you wouldn't want to be sprung right. I, th- I think that's it so uh you know, and all sorts of weird prohibitions. You know, um, you know uh, the uh, the idea of yeah, a lot of oral sex. You know, was I think very transgressive.
1: Oh, you know? so oral yeah. sex was
2: pleasuring a woman with your mouth was considered. You know, that's that's an insult. That's like you know
1: right, uh, and still yeah. is in, in many parts of the world. I was mm-hmm. at the the festival of dangerous ideas a couple of years ago in Australia, and I was in the taxi with um, a couple other people who were. Uh, I probably shouldn't. Name names, <laughs> given the conversation we had, but but there was a guy from Africa, young guy, a uh, musician, and and a woman from Egypt, and me uh, in this taxi heading back to the hotel, and we I don't know how the hell it happened, but we started talking about sex and oral sex and this and the the egyptian woman was sort of sounding out this african guy on what what his thing was and he and he was like oh my god that uh, never in a million years would i do that to a woman and or for a woman I think he said and and she said well what about you what about if she wants to do that to you and he was like oh that would insult her that would be that would insult her I would never let a woman do that and he was like really vehement about yeah, it and the guy yeah. was you know 25 or something
2: yeah yeah so yeah and like for Cleopatra she was um, denigrated you know the, I, the phrase was you know she was being you know she being ground by her slaves you know she was uh, she was having sex with slaves so um, you know this that was like she's so sort of so this sort of wild voraciousness that she's just you know even the the you know these barely these subhuman slaves right. you know uh and mark anthony is just is uh, you know tolerates this that he's you know she's she's uh has that sort of the sort of thing with the lower orders and that's that you know she was like, really, um, this sexual propaganda against Cleopatra was, you know, was violent. And, you know, right. that, uh, uh, Octavian was putting out and later Augustus. And so, and there's this similar thing as you, as you go through, like Marie Antoinette, you know, this sort of, this strain of um, pornographic literature, which is basically about her and her lesbian liaisons, you know, with you know, everyone in the court and, uh, you know, having it off, uh, you know, and that was considered just, you know, beyond the pale, it sort of, you know, really got around. And, you know, it's almost every powerful woman in history has had her sexuality right. attacked. And, you know, right. depending on the, the time and the, you know, the right. period, it's a different right. way of doing it. But, you know... You uh, have
1: to wonder, I mean, of course, there's the, there's the obvious attack, like, that's an obvious way to attack a woman, you know. It's like they, they attacked Barack Obama for being a secret Muslim, you know. It's like, that's the obvious, you know, attack for, for an ignorant, racist idiot, but um, but then there's the other thing where you have to think: well, you know, maybe women who rose to positions of prominence in those worlds were rule-breaking women. They were women with huge appetites. They were like female Bill Clintons, you know, maybe some of them. So maybe there was a grain of truth. I mean, you know, we were talking about Catherine the Great. I mean, she... Apparently, there is historical evidence that she was pretty voracious sexually.
2: Sure, sure. But uh, whether that Not that there's anything wrong with that, you know. But but, it's used in this sort of very negative... Well, (laughs) and God knows
1: history's full of men, popes, kings, and everyone else who who were, you know, fucking left, right, and center. So, yeah. That's, you know... uh, So it is ultimately pretty much a purely sexist uh, yeah it's yeah. just
2: it's just amazing how you can see it again yeah. and again through history it's,
1: yeah. quite, it's weird hey what about the the story of the pope who turned out to be a woman
2: pope joan it's uh, it's you know, when they when they finally went through the the, the list, it turns out there was no pope. You know, it's, she's not even on the list. You know, this, it's a, it's a fabrication. It's a it's fabrication. Very, yeah, so so um, the
1: pope doesn't sit on a chair that his balls have to uh, hang down uh, and they
2: apparently not as far as I, I mean really? as far as I have been able to assist. Oh, you're breaking my heart yeah, here, Tom. I've been you know into the. Yeah, the Vatican is as much as any, anyone around. Funny, uh, funny is, uh, story. From the
1: outside, yeah, Tone wrote a, a piece in Slate a couple of years ago about uh, it was a it was a series actually, wasn't yeah, it about penetrating the Vatican <laughs> <laughs> with barbarians <laughs> into so anyway, T- Tone wrote this piece in Slate about uh, about doing archival research in the the Vatican Library and you know going through all the, the jumping through all the hoops of getting permission to go in and how you know it was very it was a fantastic piece. Anyway, in the piece he says there's Wi-Fi in the Vatican Library and he was sitting in the Vatican Library and he connected to the Wi-Fi and he he wrote an email to a friend saying, "My God, I'm sitting right now in the Vatican Library." And the friend wrote back and said, "You should log on to a porn site." And I'm proud to say that friend was me.
2: <laughs> but you didn't, did you? Oh, I did log on. Oh, you I did, did, but for like. 10, 10 seconds because I was like which porn site like, well all I did is I went to Google and I put in porn hardcore porn <laughs> and I just clicked on whatever the because f- I was like you know I'm sitting there because it's done in rows and I was in the back row right. so I'm thinking oh yeah what the hell you know because the last time I visited the Vatican they, they have these you know these blocks on all sorts of stuff I couldn't even visit my own website you know it would come right. up you know the content yeah. and advice so I thought ah, oh, yeah fuck I'll do it so it was like XOXO dot whatever you know and then so I clicked on and it's like yeah you know there's like there's a leg being bent over it's like oh wow and it's like but I'm there and I'm like suddenly you know I'm an ex-Catholic man and I was like God, looking at it like over my shoulder and it's yeah, like yeah. and I spoke to Vatican Correspondence and they said uh, you know it does go through these filters and like after 20 seconds if it goes for like 20 seconds you know then usually they'll, they'll shut it down yeah. and there's even keywords that in you know, emails that they'll get it bounced back your email didn't arrive because you know for some reason and they look mm. through it and it's like uh, you know Someone's name, Dick, or something like that, you know. And so it was banned for that. So, uh, but uh, but yeah, going through the Vatican was an amazing experience, and really? that was like uh, probably the most difficult of my many bizarre missions. And it ends right. up in um, in the last book, the Sinners' Grand Tour, and that was very, you know, I I had heard rumors that there was a pornographic bathroom, you know, in the uh, in the Vatican, in right. the Vatican, right. uh, And been, and and I did a little research, and it turns out, it, you know, there was something painted by Raphael in 1516 in the the Vatican Palace had been used by cardinals and whatever in the Renaissance and he was a very erudite guy guy. he used to write very racy sort of plays you know very cultured Mm. and they're all very into ancient Roman discoveries because they're just they're actually physically finding uh, for example the Golden Palace of Nero which was intact underneath the city and like uh, Raphael and Michelangelo would go down with torches and they'd find this really raunchy stuff on all the walls and they'd be like wow and they'd go out and this whole thing of grotesque art would start where there's sort of very sort of you know you know, ribald sexual stuff that was going and so it, it became quite fashionable and so this cardinal said Raphael who's his teenage friend you know since teen years paint me this thing so he paints uh, this room with a, a number of sort of frescoes relating to Aphrodite and um, and Eros and the, and the god Pan and it's this you know Erotic scenes, and he has a bathroom in there. It's like literally a bath, not a, not a toilet. But so, anyway, uh, Raphael dies, the cardinal dies, uh, the, the bear, you know, the bathroom stays there, and they had to go back and like find these ancient, you know, these Renaissance texts, and these, And through the years, the, the few people were able to visit it. And uh, at one stage, it's turned into a, uh, into a kitchen, and Raphael wasn't considered that, you know, around the 17th century, his reputation went down. So, some of it was, a, some of it was white, whitewashed, uh-huh. whitewashed. over. Oh, no. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. But then in the 19th century, some you know his Raphael becomes uh, famous again, and so uh, there's certain Catholic scholars go in and they write these treatises about it, and there's these blurry, muddy photos. So I, I wanted I made it my mission to go in there and uh, see if I could talk my way into this place, uh, and I did it by going to the Vatican Library, not getting caught downloading porn, uh, getting into the Vatican archives. You know, and sort of doing you know going in there again and again and talking to people and sort of finding out how the thing how it works and it's like it's on the third floor I mean and I with a Smithsonian I had worked on you know classical sites in Rome so I knew a guy who used to be at the Vatican Museums and he's like yeah it's on the third floor but it's like it's literally the papal apartments you know it's run by the secretariat (laughs) it's not a place you're going to wander into you need the authority basically the third from the top right, and I'm like uh, like a challenge, you know, just right. what, what do I get to do? So I do up these emails you know. And I write for the New York Times. I reference to Smithsonian. I'm a scholar. I teach at, you know, NYU. I'm a specialist in pagan art in the Renaissance, you know, the influence of pagan art. You know, I make this very convincing case. So it's like, why won't you let me in? You know, I say, like, what, what do you got to hide? Right. You know, and so uh, it's just go through and I would sending it to all sorts of people. And then one day I got this, this letter back, this email back saying, yeah, turn up at 4 p.m. on the... You such and such a date Monday or whatever and like we'll show it to you I'm like what the fuck okay great and then like four hours later I got another email from a different department saying it's totally off limits this is completely impossible uh thanks don't don't you know right. try again right. so i'm like okay i'm gonna to fly to rome and i'm gonna turn up at four o'clock it, and see yeah. what happens i never
1: got that yeah. second email and, yeah and
2: so i'm like okay so i'm dealing with the secretariat which is like the it's like the foreign office you yeah. know and so uh and it turns out that the the cardinal's apartments is where the pope meets foreign potentates you know so heads of state ministers if obama went to visit the pope he'd be in this room and it's an annex to that and um anyway I, I, to cut a long story short I go there they try to cancel on me at like one o'clock uh, I manage to talk them into it and it turns out there's a minister who's meant to be there and they say okay, okay turn up at four o'clock and we'll let you in we've got ten minutes so I turn up you know, the Swiss guards, they, they don't know, they can't believe that I'm going in there and they, they're calling people up. And luckily, I had the name of someone. They let me in, they take me up to this uh, they, to this elevator, this wooden elevator, and they put me in. And I'm like, and it goes, rattles up <laughs> to the third floor.
1: Good place I, to die.
2: Yeah, and it, open, <laughs> no, it opens up. And then these two guys with, you know, Swiss guards with halberds, you know, escort me down this long corridor. And there's one on one side of these beautiful picture windows that are looking out over Rome, you know, the best view, you know. Right, uh, right. In Rome. And the other side of these giant Renaissance maps, you know, it's like that the, the, these globes of the world, you know, with America sort of they've got the East Coast, the, Australia's, you know, out, you know, the parts yeah. of Africa, and it's yeah. like, wow, it's just the most beautiful thing. And they put they seat me in one room, they seat me in another, and finally, it's Monsignor from Oklahoma turns up, and he's like, you know, because you know America, whatever, they found the only guy who's, you know, whatever. And he says, all right, you know, we got a few minutes, let's go, let's go. And so he opens up this door, and I go into this this beautiful. It you know quite small uh, room, but it's like you know these it, it, the frescoes are still there. It's, you know there's maybe 20 different scenes, erotic scenes of Venus uh, you know uh, lolling by a stream with her uh, legs apart, or uh, or being sort of caressed by an, by um, Cupid floating around. And uh, you know it's it, you know you wouldn't I mean you can find anything on any you know. Website today, that'll be yeah. more shocking. But yeah. you know, the, it's all context, yeah. and so it's this extraordinary thing. It's very—they're very beautiful, uh, some of them are damaged, you know, seriously damaged. Others not. Uh, the, the most famous one. Is of uh, uh, Venus is combing her hair by a river, legs akimbo, and uh, the god Pan a satyr, leaps out from behind the bushes, masturbating. This is the most famous, you know, thing because it's like in the Vatican, you know. right? Uh, and unfortunately, the Monsignor was here, sort of standing in front of us. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, and I was like, would you mind stepping aside while I inspect <laughs> this? You and I was like, and I go there, and, it, and there it is. And but the funny thing is, over the over Pan's. Dick, his erection. Someone's etched it out. So it's like there's the sausage and two veg in outline of this this white outline. Of, uh, of the penis and two balls and it's been restored but in this very bright white thing so someone had come in and like savaged the, the, the penis scratched it out and they <laughs> savaged uh, the
1: penis and another great title
2: <laughs> <laughs> and i uh, wow. Dan Savage I've thought of it but yeah uh, but uh, Could you, would, did they let you take pictures no no, no no they checked me and it was like it was very I mean the, the sad thing is the Monsignor was like you know this is it whatever right? and I'd yeah. ask him because I had prepared this whole spiel sure About, you know, pagan influence on Renaissance art and Raphael and this or the other. And he was like, eh, don't know anything about it. You know? Don't know. Yeah. I probably could have, you know, taken a photograph. But... um, I did, a, you know, uh, an artist. I, you know, Les is a is a good artist, so I was able to do a reconstruction of what it would have been Liz like. Les is, uh, is your wife, yeah. yeah. So, which yeah. um, so described just, you know,
1: it in detail, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: and uh, you know, and there's sort of drawings of what have you know the the, the architecture of it and whatever. Right. So, right. so it just this fascinating thing that there it is, and it's like uh, you know just to have that inside the the Vatican, and it's and it wasn't at the time in the Renaissance it was considered you know normal to have mm. that. It was like True. you know. If you're a cultured guy, you're into the ancient Roman stuff, and right. like, you know, and the Borges and all of those. Right. Are, right. You know, they're, they're they're not, um, you know, they're they men of states. they they're, they're uh, you know, and one of the funny things is when you talk to Catholic scholars, you know, Alexander the Third is the most notorious of the Borgias. You know, like the most depraved, the most you know, wicked whoever, But in many ways, they said he was an excellent pope because the the papers he was, they needed a strong leader who was a good military commander. You know, mm. who didn't you know fuck around, and you know, he he, he was notorious. Notorious for um you had to think all the joust of the of the whores, where he invited all the most beautiful courtesans of Rome to a banquet, and they had a game where all the cardinals would be there and um. They would get the courtesans to strip naked. And it was around uh, November, and it's a, a, a treat, is, uh, an Italian treat, is chestnuts at that time. So they would get chestnuts and throw them on the ground, and the, the girls on their hands and knees uh, would be you know, collecting them you know, and whinnying like horses. And then the cardinals would strip off and, uh, uh, and fuck them. Mm-hmm. And then he awarded prizes for whoever was able to come the most times, you know, to come most often. Uh, the cardinal that was able to, you know, last the distance. You know, they're very nice like a villa or, uh, you know, beautiful clothes or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know. Nice too. house. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, you know, and, and like, he's like, you know, he's considered the most debauched of them all, and yet this Catholic scholar who's like, uh, you know, very, you know, dapper, guy he's like, but in many ways, he was, he you know, if it wasn't for him, the papers he might have imploded, you know, it was like yeah. there was a very touchy time in the Renaissance, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, so... You know, it's a a more recent thing that these, that, uh, you know, the Pope has lost this temporal, that it has to be a a political player. Right. It's like it's now, it's just this tiny little rump state. It used to be run half of Italy. You know, Rome, you know, was only 1870. The
1: world. I mean, the Western Hemisphere, a lot of it was run by
2: the Vatican. Yeah. But uh, but it used to be like, you know, the Pope would roam all over Rome. He would roam over Rome. But it was only in 1870 that he got kicked back to the Vatican. Mm. And for like 30 years, he never left because he, refused to accept that the the rest of it was Italy and that Uh, he was was, and it was only until Mussolini had the Concordat that uh, you know so the Pope if you were Pope you were just stuck in the Vatican you know house arrest yeah yeah Uh, prisoner of the Vatican they used to say right and that's when the whole idea of it as the secret city began, and all these sort of rumors of the pornographic libraries and all that and whatever. like you know. Right. I was right. you know
1: um. Well, listen. Before we, we're let me see, we're almost out of time, I think. But before we run out of time, we're actually over time. Dustin, edited that out. Um, I just want to get you know. It, it's unusual to talk to someone who's got uh, such a wide angle view, uh, you know, of, of uh, human sexualities and in throughout history. With your understanding, with with all you've read and, and you've seen and thought about, do you see any sort of trajectory? Are we moving in a direction or are we just going around in circles or...
2: It whatever. seems to me very cyclical. It seems to me like right. we, 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 we there's a lot of self congratulation about how, you know, how liberated, liberated we, we are, are, right? And it's like you know some golden age or whatever. And right. it's like, but then you look at these other periods, and it's like you know uh, I don't know what history teaches you, but you know uh, you certainly see um, you know these times of extraordinary liberation. You know, it's like the 18th century. You know, it's like it, you know, it was, it, often it's for a certain social class or with right. wealth or whatever. Right. But I think, you know. There's definitely, I mean, nothing new under the sun is one observation. Another observation might be that, um, you know, there's always been these periods of repression as well. And then it's just, it's extraordinary how sex in this chaotic way just sort of, you know, cannot be controlled. It comes out like during the Middle Ages. They're trying to, you know, officially it looks like, they, you know, it's amazing to imagine that the human race survived, you know, mm-hmm. because there's all these strictures against sex. But then you look a little deeper and it turns out, you know, everyone's just doing what they fucking want. Right. You know, it's like... Uh, Priests, uh, you know, the, the ban against priests marrying is like, you know, it only starts in like the 1200s, you know, and you figure out, you know, and it'll, it, it'll come out in other ways, you know, and these uh, sex cults or, you know, clubs or adventures and everyone's, it's incredibly creative and inventive and, uh, you know, and then even if you look at like the 1920s, you know, it was a huge eruption sure. of sexual freedom. Sure. You know, you read uh, Henry Miller's accounts of what it was like in New York in the 1920s right. and it's like, wow, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. And then, then this, and so this sort of sense of the '60s rebelling against the '50s—you know—it's like, yeah, you know, you it's got to see
1: it in a pendulum swinging yeah, back and forth. Yeah. yeah, it feels like we're swinging in the right direction, at least from my perspective now, uh, toward more liberation yeah. and yeah. and rights for for people who aren't, uh, you know, whatever's defined as normal, which which is. Always good. Um, it'd, man- be,
2: it'd be nice to think that the, yeah, the the cycle of repression has been broken, but, but yeah, you, know, but you never know because it was the French Revolution coming out of nowhere that really sort of kicked off this uh, the Victorian age. Because I mean, the French aristocrats are like, you're totally debauched, and then the, the British are as well. And yeah. then the British think, oh shit, they're all getting dragged off and having their heads chopped off. They're obviously right. they're just riding because they've been just riding roughshod over everybody, right. you know. And so suddenly the Victorian thing comes in where the ruling classes are still doing whatever they want. Sure. It's behind closed doors, right, right? right? The middle class has to sort of toe the line. Right. The and middle class like,
1: gets screwed and the yeah. poor are doing whatever they want because yeah. they've got nothing to lose. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you see that even. Uh, I found it very interesting when I was researching Darwin's life, you know, and he was super, uh, you know, uh, laced up, you know, straight guy, you know, even on the Beagle traveling around the South Pacific in the 18, what was it, 18 something. Yeah. Um, uh he was uh one of the only guys on the ship who didn't like go down and, and consort with the women in Tahiti and, and elsewhere, as far as anyone knows, certainly. If he did he kept it very quiet. But um you know, he married his first cousin and you know, a very uptight guy. Uh but his grandfather was a wild man, Erasmus. Wildman had kids with several different women, and several of them being his maids. Wrote poetry about, you know, group sex, and you know, sort of vaguely uh, disguised as writing about flowers and things. But I mean, he was just like a, a real libertine.
2: And the difference between the 18, you know, the 18th century and the 19th, but it happens very quickly. That's it.
1: It's you two know? generations, yeah. and suddenly you're at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. And, and
2: then there's the minor tragedy of people like Byron and Shelley, who are sort of living as if they're in the 18th century but they're in the 19th century mm. so he has to leave mm. basically right. England ends up you know living in Switzerland yeah, Italy and Geneva I yeah and dying that. in Greece yeah. you know yeah uh, so, yeah, they, if you're a sexual rebel in the early 1800s, you know, you're out of luck. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. Burton, you know, Burton has to go off to Oh, India Richard Burton. And, yeah. What a fascinating character yeah. Richard
1: Burton is. I, yeah. I, that's somebody, if I, if I ever have a, a year or two and I, you know, for some reason I can't walk and all I can do is research, I think Richard Burton would be the person I would love to really dig into. Unfortunately, of course, his wife burned most of his papers yeah, after yeah, yeah. he but died. But imagine
2: if you found, that, like, his last, tra- the lost translation of... Uh, I think it was a Persian erotic poem that's, um, you know, like of 200 pages or something. One of the things that supposedly she burned, you know? Yeah. Byron's memoir, uh, he, after his death, it was sent back to London. His publisher got it. And he was there with all his friends and they agreed because it was so revealing about his sex life. They threw it on the fire. Oh, man. You know? Man.
1: That's, that's unbelievable. I know, it's a crime. You know, that sort of level of... Uh that's why you need the cloud computing. <laughs> Too bad they didn't have cloud computing back then. No. Well, listen, we have barely scratched the surface of the amazing, salacious knowledge in this guy's head. Uh, I mean, the, we, we haven't talked about the Scottish Masturbation Societies. There's so many things we haven't yeah. talked about that, from your books. Uh, so, everyone, please go out and buy, if they're going to buy one book. Because I, I, I think my listeners, if I had to guess who's listening to this, I'm thinking they're smart probably 25 to 35 years old most of them but they probably don't have time to read a lot of history but they're they're sexy they're open-minded one of your books which would you recommend first
2: napoleon's privates would have to be the one it's like it's you dip into it it's like you know uh it's fun it's you know, it's great dinner party conversation. That's right. Like, you know, it's right. like it's it's full of stuff that sort of sticks in your head. I right. think exactly. And, the, and yeah, if if you like that, then the, grand, the Sinner's Grand Tour is like the practical. The, the,
1: I love the, that the, first the Sinner's Grand Tour. Is the, yeah, it's that's very like the, funny. Man. That's the
2: first because then I, while I was doing Napoleon's Privates, I realized that all this shit's still out there. Right. And so why don't I go and find the relics of the right. Scottish masturbation? Right. Pop? Why don't right. I visit the Marquis de Sartre? Oh, dungeon? the, the crazy
1: a, chair of uh, the, the uh, guy, uh, uh, King
2: Edward uh, the Seventh Chair. sex
1: chair so he could like lean in the sex chair and dangle his balls and the prostate I mean oh my mm. god It's all and, the weird and, to- and Tony found the chair in yeah. some you know musty attic in Paris somewhere yeah, that was
2: um, one of my great triumphs <laughs> <laughs>
1: And the, and, and the Marquis de Sade's palace is now owned by Pierre Cardin. Is yeah, that it? Yeah, you, you talked your right. way into that too. Unbelievable. Yeah,
2: it was a. But the Vatican remains my greatest greatest triumph, of course. You, 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 know, you stormed
1: a, the gates of the Vatican. Uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah, penetrated the, uh, the Vatican.
2: The the very uh, like
1: well. a barbarian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so if you're interested in uh, learning more about this, Napoleon's Privates is the place to go, the place right. to start. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks, Tony. This has been great. Yeah,
2: thanks for having me. All
0: right. Your time, think about your And ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up or give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about an obligation Running through a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground